everyone. Welcome to EGA's podcast, Telling Stories from the Clubhouse. I am Giselle Garbengera, Localization Quality Lead at Flint, and today we're speaking to Michelle Spitz, a woman of her word about inclusion in media and the arts. Hey, Michelle, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, thank you for having me. So my businesswoman of her word is focused on inclusion and primarily around raising awareness with audio description. As far as raising awareness and implementing grants for people so they can include audio description in their deliverables and their assets and sort of embedding it into the awareness. And a lot of what I do is based on starting grant programs for finishing funds, for example, for women in film, New York women in film and television, um, Superfest, uh, Real Abilities Disability Film Festival. There's many things I'm involved in. And primarily by doing so, we're able to leverage uh, the asset, the awareness, the learning curve and the relationship building between myself and the client and what audio description is important and why we need to be using it is equivalent to captions is then a domino effect because we then are able to educate their, their colleagues and so on and so forth. So there's a wonderful lineage that happens with putting these sort of grants in place. And that's including also a lot of um, teaching that I do as well as guest lecturing and um, consulting with film festivals and, and all sorts of different entities to do whatever I can to make this more evident in the world of localization and uh, accessibility and the disability community. Wow, <laughs> just hearing all you do is, is uh, quite impressive. It sounds like you're, you're completely immersed in, in this type of service and the accessibility and wanting to, to provide the, this service. Um, how did this start? What attracted you to, I don't know about this business, I don't know what, what you were doing before this, but specifically to accessibility, not just entertainment? Yeah, so I was uh, already a philanthropist in the world over 10 years ago. I was supporting disability in the arts, and it was seniors, veterans, and marginalized communities and people with disabilities, so they had access to the arts, whether they were patrons or wanted to be artists themselves. So that was in place for about a decade. And then I was in another career at the time during that period of time, I was in marketing and I was friendly with a number of people that are in the disability committee in the arts community. And they had introduced me to a gentleman who used to be at Universal Studios, who was in distribution for 25 years, who then decided to retire at 50 and said he wanted to go into accessible media. So I was introduced to him not having any knowledge of what that meant, like many people today that we talk to that aren't in the industry. And he'd asked me to go to a company that the proprietor is blind, as are some of their engineers that produce audio description. And he had a film that had been made by two uh, blind brothers who potentially, well, visually impaired, who potentially could lose their vision at some point in their lifetime. And they had done a documentary and they needed audio description. So he asked me if I would go in and I did, and I had never had this experience. Um, in addition to a short film, he had had me narrate and I fell madly in love. And I decided that that was my journey. That was my calling. And this is where I needed to place my energy and my philanthropy. So it was a beautiful sort of circle of uh, full circle of event lives because I really was focusing already in the area, but had no idea that I could use my voice 
to make media accessible as well. So nine years later, I'm still doing this and I expanded it greatly. Um, and I've been brought in so many different sides of it. So I still do my philanthropy in accessibility inclusion as well as um, all that I was doing before. So now it's this beautiful package. And it's it's been an extraordinary journey. I always say to people, this was a gift that was given to me, this opportunity to be involved this way. And um, I know that it's a gift to give back. And so it's it's a perfect alignment for me. Absolutely. It is a very rewarding um, part of, of production and of entertainment. I think this is... Um really amazing and and it's great to hear that you started as a voice talent in it so you really have been going through all the steps everything that is involved with uh, audio description which is quite interesting from um voice talent from uh, production for funding grants everything which is um great and and you talk about philanthropy and grants and funding do you feel in this business, do you feel the, the the accessibility part of it is required? It requires more grants and funding. Is it like you know, it's not part of the original budget yeah. of a of a production? Yeah. It's an interesting question because so much has changed over the nine years. When I was involved at that stage early on, there was even less less awareness, less funding. Uh, less validity put on the asset. It was really amongst those that are in the, you know, the post-production world and so on and so forth. So with all that's happened in the last number of years, including that about disability inclusion, which of course uh, extends itself to accessibility because we were in a world where we weren't having access to each other during COVID, so much has happened during that time. But I think that, or I remain to feel that, um, different parts of the world, such as the UK, for example, the funding comes through the government there, and then it's a charitable, uh, you know, contribution towards the production companies that are making the media for, you know, all the live theater and, and all the cultural arts and so on and so forth. And then, of course, some are separate from that. But in the US, I, I have always felt that I wish it was funded by the government. And I believe here the Department of Education is responsible for a lot of funding, for example, regarding educational content, but that doesn't necessarily cover entertainment content outside of education-based content. So I have witnessed over the time frame some people uh, emulating part of what I put in place um, with different organizations, and they have then stepped it up, and they've had people that can come in with even more funding, and they'll coordinate it or identify it with an entire package of funding for finishing funds. So there were those that have uh, a lot more to offer. And then I also believe because, and I, this is a very interesting thing for me to watch, um, <clears throat> because content is so um, relevant now to the world. And content, as they say, is king, if I can lack a, a better phrase, but that really is what it is. So everyone who's investing now, the people, the big people that have a lot of money, whether they're in the financial world or they're in the technology field, as you know, everybody wants a piece of the entertainment action. So I am seeing all of those entities stepping in and funding film festivals and funding this and giving money to that film organization, what have you. So I think that while that's happening and more funding's coming in for sponsorship, I'd like to see it slivered down and pieced off maybe specifically for the assets that independent filmmakers may not have you know, to attach to their content. And of course, the other issue we deal with all the time 
is that when people are finishing their media and they may have a very minimal budget for indie films or what have you, that their media is going out for submission and consideration, which they have to also pay money to, to submit. But their media may be delivered, it might be unfinished and it might just be a certain cut of it, but it may go with captions because it's mandated to be captioned, but the audio description doesn't go. So that means that, for example, some people who might be on the judging committee that may be low vision or blind cannot experience that film. So my feeling is if we could, in the perfect world, there's no perfect world, Mm -hmm. but if we could um, perhaps give grants towards creating those assets and by a professional entity that in fact, when it had to be repurposed or got distribution, and that's if that distribution outlet is willing to take it because there's legal ramifications, behind all of that as well. Well, then it could be repurposed at that point. But these are areas that are a little bit murky still. Um, But I hate to see a film make it to a film festival that has decided to step up like Sundance or, for example, Tribeca. I was talking to Tribeca early on before they decided this year to even include audio description. And they finally decided to hire um, an operations manager who made it part of their paradigm. And so I am very excited about that. Same thing. with the Oscars. I'm the one who was in conversations for three months before um, they, you know, fully committed to audio description. And now it's part of their, you know, their profile as is the Tonys and the Grammys and uh, no, undoubtedly the Emmys. Um, And so, you know, we need to make it available, but we have to also understand or find a solution to those preliminary assets that might be changed when a distributor gets their hands on it, which I hope they do. And, or if it just takes a run in an independent indie film that doesn't get distribution, but that when they're able to show it or screen it, that it's accessible. So there's, you know, it's a little bit complicated, but more funding to do more of this would ultimately be ideal with the understanding that there are some, some things we still have to iron and work out. If they able, if they are able to go, to a larger production company that in fact would create the assets that might be more in alignment at times, maybe with, you know, post-production partners or what have you, you know, whatever they're going to call them, but that are within their wheelhouse of uh, the legal um, Mm -hmm. situation, then maybe if they've gone to those companies, that asset might be more likely accepted if they get distribution, but not always. So it really depends if it, if it's, Apple, Apple's going to do their own. If it's uh, Disney Plus, Disney Plus is probably going to do their own. Um, Amazon does all originals with one particular post house. Um, but I, I, you know, I have relationships with a lot of them. And so I try to do my best to do a workaround whenever we can. But my goal ultimately beyond that conversation is that I like to follow the media. I like to follow the assets. I want to educate my clients about finding the place for the distribution in terms of where the asset will be used and when they get distribution to follow the, to follow, have a project manager internally with their team to follow the assets, to be sure they're actually used because they often are only partially used. They don't get to, Mm -hmm. um, for example, the travel arm, let's say one film got distribution, right? And the streaming part of it decided to use some of it, but they didn't use it on all of the streaming or they didn't do it on the DVD or they did it in theatrical, but they chose not to do it in their travel distribution arm, when in fact they can. Hmm. So if it's on an airplane or a train or a cruise. So wherever my suggestion to my clients is, or anybody for that matter, 
follow these assets and request if you can as the person handling the contracts that these assets are utilized at all stops where it's possible and to follow that and to request it. If you don't or you don't follow it, often it doesn't make it. And then it will get repurposed maybe for another streaming outlet or what have you. And I know we talked about that before in our meetings, but there's reasons for all of that happening. But let's just say in the initial output, let's do as much as we can. We don't want to leave an audience out, whether they're judging or whether they're attending a film festival or for other reasons, right? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and that is one conversation that I've also heard before, the different outlets and the different places where these, um, the media is shown, sometimes creates some challenges in, in as far as, you know, is it mono, stereo, the different that's kind right. of audio that's going to be shared and all that, I think it's still, we see that there's still a lot of room for improvement in this whole workflow and in this whole. Um, yeah. And I also think if, if, and when, and I do think the day will come, I don't know when it will be, but, and I hope, I certainly hope it's sooner than later. If it gets to the point where audio description is mandated as is captions, mm -hmm. then I think we'll be in a different place to have different protocol in place and regulations. And I think we'll have a better roadmap that we that we can create that will accommodate the mandate. But I think it's a little bit of um, a puzzle to piece together. And it's really people willingly attaching themselves to the importance of this and caring enough to want to do something about it with the understanding it may not be as straightforward as it always is. Right. And even with the Emmys, I consulted with the Emmys for their consideration as far as how would they get the submissions that are coming in to have audio described submissions and they weren't getting them. They were getting them without the audio description. So we talked about it. I consulted with them and they put together a document asking for it with all submissions, whether or not they got them all, I don't know, but it's part of their paperwork. So, you know, there's an ask and the ask is where yep. it starts. Um, the, the, you know, the response to all of that might be a little bit different, but it was very meaningful. So for me with the Emmys and the Oscars and Tribeca and the conversations I have, and sort of, and many times I've been ahead of the curve because not as many people are reaching out to talk to that many people mm -hmm. during my time, but now more are, right? It's more, it's sort of, everybody's got their hand in it now. Um, I had some very important conversations and doors were partially open in my time and some were closed and some have completely reopened for everybody now. That is great. We we need more of you, Michelle. Uh, it sounds like you were <laughs> definitely, uh, I mean, your passion and your energy, it, it sounds like you were a pioneer in so many fronts in this. And it, it's great that people are following that you are, you know, you are the, I'm sure the example for many, which is um, fantastic to see. Um, and one thing I was going to say, is, so what does create this requirement you were saying for example right now there is a requirement to have um captioning Caption, SDH. Yeah. yeah so yeah. what would create what would create this oh that's it that it that, is? that's a very good question you know it would start at the same the same point as you know how captions came into place it's up at the it's up at the top of the heap there it just has to be mandated but i don't know what that's gonna you know i don't know yeah. why it with all due respect it hasn't been and I don't know what it would take to be, but where we are right now in the trajectory of accessible streaming, because that is what most people are doing now, not just going to theaters. I can't imagine 
that it will not be mandated at some point in time. I do, of course, know and understand that some of the um, networks are required by law to have a certain number of hours of programming audio described. Of course, much of it, again, it's a choice I'm imagining internally, right? How, how many hours per week, eight hours per week, or what have you, it changes you know, all, all the time. But what eight hours? How do they decide which eight hours? I don't, yeah. I don't work behind those scenes. But I really, as far as I'm concerned, I often say to people, would you put a pair, and, and forgive me for, for sort of likening it this way, but would you put a pair of glasses on and one, one um, prescription and one eye is for captions and the other is for people that have low vision, would you leave one out? It's a pair. So I don't, and, and the analogy is not meant to be literal, but my point is we are looking at the world through a pair of lens that not everybody has access to. And so that lens should be an equal lens. And at that point, we have equal opportunities to experience the world at large, not just media, but the entire world, whether it's the arts and performing arts and museums and what have you. But I must say, so much has changed and so much has grown and the disability community, of course, is very involved now in this themselves, which is important because it's it is their community. So they are stepping up and wanting to be involved in the process. They want to be voicing. They want their they you know it's it's very part of what it's a very crucial part and integral part of where the movement is going. So with that that momentum behind the should we say the entertainment momentum is going to raise the bar even further. So it's going to elevate this in a way that it's never been elevated probably in history. And I can't imagine without all of these people coming to the table that this isn't going to have a major impact in the not too distant future, but it certainly is already having it. And, and by the way, aside from that, not just the media makers themselves, but as you can see, all the streaming outlets now are beginning to request the asset, a lot of them. So that means they've made a, a choice without a mandate required. They took that stance and said, we need to do this. We're going to do that. So that's also tells you a lot. It was no longer just Netflix, you know, Hulu took a while to step up. I remember all these days. And, um, I think with that in mind, that messaging says, this is really what we need to do. And then the theaters are mandated to have the headsets. That came along at the same time. They, I think the captions were mandated. So most the um, cinemas have the headsets. That means they need to understand why, how do we use it? And there's some improvement there also uh, that needs to be done. But let's just say it's going in the best direction I could have wished for. Great. And I think it has to do a lot with all this advocacy and, you know, the, 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 the viewer that needs this or the, 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 the client that needs this is finally has a voice. You That's know, right. they, they, they feel they've been recognized. It's not just someone far away is creating a product for them. They demand this product. They That's want right. this product and they're being heard. They're giving, they've been given rooms in, in you know, like you're saying, in judging, uh, uh, panels and and all that is creating a lot more momentum for for all this accessibility so it's beautiful to see um, and yeah it creates a, a snowball of, of things good things to come I, I'm, I'm hopeful <laughs> yeah. and when I do panels I did a, pa a panel for Sundance and I had a number of people on the panel 
writers, uh, VO, a gentleman who is, I teach an audio description lab for respectability every summer, and that's to 30 individuals that have various disabilities that are in their early to mid-career media track, entertainment tracks. And he happens to like to write reviews of movies, and he's very low vision. And he has been on some of my panels talking about what the experience is like for him. He didn't even want to accept audio description early on. He didn't want to be part of that. Then he realized how much he was missing. And so now it's something he relies upon all the time. So I do think um, the voices talking about this at large, whether it's the production side, whether it's those of us who are advocates and philanthropists and what have you, we, we need to include all voices to be part of this and also in the production process. So there's just so much to, that can still be done. But I also have to say that I, I happen to have um, a sweet spot and, and for disability at large. I have a brother on the spectrum and my brother was not diagnosed until he was 61. And he actually happens to be the subject of the new show, um, Love on the Spectrum, the US version. And no it's, way. Up for, it's up for three Emmys. And, um, you know, that really growing up with a brother like that, who never really understood what he had, but I sort of had a sense of it has deeply touched my heart. So the disability community at large beyond those with low vision and blindness who are have processing issues, cognitive processing issues and what have you, neurodiversity and, and, and many different disabilities I've worked along with. And many of the films I work on are disability subject based in addition to all the other films I work on, which are a lot of documentaries. But um, the community at large has so much to teach us and they really are our teachers. And we need to pay close attention. Uh, their their kindness and uh, their gentility in many ways beyond sort of, you know, there's an activism that's there as well. And then there are uh, those of us that are advocates. But that whole movement, uh, there's so much many of us don't understand unless you're up close and personal to it. So I must say it does come from a, a, a part of it, a deeper part in my heart, but I didn't speak about it for many years until my brother was able to understand his situation. It became more public. I thought it was too private. So my river runs rather deep. I can tell, I can tell. And it's, it's uh, making some beautiful waves. So <laughs> that is great. Thank you so much, Michelle. We could uh, seriously continue talking for a long time here. I feel Absolutely. you have so much to share and maybe we can do a follow-up to this. Love someday. to. Thank you. Um, thank you for, yeah, thank you for all you shared. And uh, we will, I'm sure we'll, we'll hear more from you and of you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, Appreciate it. Terrific. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Michelle. Bye-bye. Bye. Join us next time when we share more stories about elevating the art and science of global storytelling.